Historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. In this episode, The Arab Voice, I decided to mostly just listen. One of the issues we face in Israel and in the Middle East is that we don't really listen to each other and or the other side. It's understandable to not want to listen mainly because we disagree, even passionately, with sometimes what seem to be outrageous and even conspiratorial accusations. We often get angry, but you know something? None of these feelings change a thing on the ground. None of it will bring us closer to understanding each other. So I decided to listen, just listen, and I propose you do the same. My guest today is Muhammad Daraushe. Muhammad Daraushe is the Director of Strategic Planning at Givad Chaviva, the Center for Shared Society in Israel. Mr. Daraushe is considered a leading political analyst and expert on Jewish-Arab relations in Israel. Welcome, Mr. Daraushe. Great pleasure, Itai, and happy to always be with you. I'd like to start with a very general question. What, in your opinion, are the main challenges facing the Arab community in Israel? Uh, well, Itai, there are two main challenges, I would say them. One is the political challenge, identity challenge. The question is, uh, whose state is it? Is it the state of the Jews or is it the state of the Israelis? We're going through this debate almost every single day in the Knesset and in the media and in the streets. There's a strong polarization over this issue. And this reflects on the legitimacy of our citizenship. Is this state here to serve us and see us as legitimate children of the state? Or are we secondary and marginal citizens that happen to be here that maybe sometimes are able to ask for individual rights but not have collective rights? The second debate is more of civil rights nature, focusing on social economic issues. There are lots of discriminatory policies that come and stem out of social economic aspects, not from national or political identity aspects. Most of it resulting from either negligence of Israeli government policies in the past or peripheral status or physical geographic peripheral aspects that where we live in the periphery and in villages that are remote from the center, remote from Jerusalem. So these are more of civic nature type of discriminatory policies. Okay, so in these two aspects, what are the possible solutions? In both aspects, I think there's a different kind of solution for the political, what I would call the vertical debate about identity, I think this uh, debate is going to, and this challenge is going to accompany us probably until we find a political solution for the cross-border Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It is about identity. And the second, I think we can create very fast-track progress in social economic arenas, anywhere from reducing poverty rate in the Arab community, increasing educational quality, municipal services, housing issues, violence and crime issues. These are issues that are not dependent on the cross-border. These are what I call horizontal issues where we can create a lot of success stories in the process. So let's dive a little deeper into it because I think you made an excellent Excellent point. I want to say, first of all, that the state of Israel, as you mentioned, was established as a Jewish homeland. It aspires to be Jewish and democratic. And my question to you is whether a Jewish state with a Jewish character identity and at the same time a democracy, can those two principles exist, basically, as far as Arab society is concerned? And nation states have been actually dealing with this matter. Is it possible or not? Nation states were faced with the two main concepts. One the concept of democracy that evolved after the evolution of nation states. And many states had to adapt 
and change the definition of nation states in accordance to democratic values. So it's not, it can't be an exclusive state anymore. So if you think of exclusive Jewish state, that qualifies to be racist. If you think of an inclusive Jewish state, that qualifies it to updated modern nation states. What does that mean, an inclusive Jewish state? An inclusive Jewish state means that it allows other identities to exist with dignity, with pride, and specifically, and I was leading to that, specifically how nation states that belong to certain nation deal with other nations that are indigenous to the population. It's not minorities, because immigrating and migrating minorities have to usually try to adapt to the new state that they move to. They need to accept the values of that state. They need to accept the language of that state. But indigenous populations throughout history, and I can go with you through many, many issues like that, indigenous minorities did not only have to adapt to the state, but the state had to adapt to them also. The state had to change its structure so that it can be an inclusive state for them. Yes, a nation state can have the right to serve one specific nation in certain needs, specifically in this case, provide the security for the Jewish people, provide the homeland for the Jewish people, but it cannot confiscate the rights of the remaining minority, remaining indigenous population that has not only individual rights as in a democracy, but also collective rights. Collective rights want to protect their identity, to protect their language, to protect their way of life, to have access to resources, symbolic resources. For example, the national anthem. The national anthem of the state of Israel is a good national anthem. It serves the Jewish population in Israel and the Jews outside Israel very well. But does it serve the local non-Jewish population in Israel? Clearly not. So I have nothing against the national anthem. And just to mention, because of the fact that it, spe- it specifies in Hebrew, nefesh yehudi homiyah, which is my Jewish soul, you're ta- I assume you're talking about that. I have no problem with Jewish souls. I like many, many Jewish souls, but it's not my soul. And the national anthem has to expand, has to mature, to be a bit more inclusive, allow parallel lyrics for the same music. Where you speak about Jewish soul, I speak about another soul that can live together with Jewish souls in the same homeland. I think that Israel has started probably in in the right direction with the Declaration of Independence, which spoke of the Arab citizens, and I'm quoting from the Declaration of Independence, as the children of the Arab nation. It related to us as a collective, as a nation, as part of a nation. But when it handles our issues on a daily basis, it handles them as individuals and not as a nation. Let me go back a little bit. You said about the anthem. I, I'm assuming also the same thing is with the flag, because the flag is a Jewish star, and obviously it does not represent someone who's not Jewish. Having said that, though, you have countries that are democracies around Europe. They have no separation of church and state, many of them, most of them, and they have sometimes crosses on their flags. And I don't think anyone demands for them to move the cross. The question is whether this is something that can be accepted. I'm not demanding to eliminate the Jewish 
aspects in the flag. But maybe if we add an olive branch, maybe if we add one of the birds of that country, maybe if we add a fig leaf. I'm not asking to eliminate. Jewish majority has the right to be represented dominantly in the national symbols. I respect the majority need. I respect the majority aspirations to show its dominance and its majority needs. Majorities also have rights, but minorities also have rights. I want to be represented. I want to be able to see myself in the flag and not only to see you. I don't hate seeing you, but I want to be able to see me so that when the flag is risen, I can say, well, they thought about me. They did not only think about excluding me. Now, when I see the flag, I think about the exclusion process and not the inclusion process. Do you feel as an Arab Israeli or an Arab Palestinian Israeli or however you want to identify yourself, do you feel that you have, and it's a general question, but less opportunity within the Jewish world? Or does part of the community feel like they have less opportunity? Well, it's a complicated question and it's hard to answer it because yes, I have been discriminated many, many times and my children are even still being discriminated. You see it in the basic services of garbage collection up to employment opportunities and ability to have proper employment mobility and educational mobility and quality of life. I do feel discriminated as an individual, first of all. At the same time, I feel grateful that I live in a modern country that offers so many opportunities. My quality of life is better than the majority of people in the surrounding countries. So the question is, do you see the half full or do you see the half empty? I happen to see both halves. I happen to be grateful to the half which allows prosperity and the modernity to come in and raise children in a very competitive environment. Thank God I have very successful children that are making it the best there is in Israeli educational and career opportunities. But at the same time, I see glass ceiling. Maybe you don't see it. I see it. It hits my head almost every single day. The Arab citizens have not been properly integrated, mainly because there is probably an idea that hasn't left some of the decision makers' minds that Arab citizenship here is temporary. A Jewish citizen doesn't feel that his citizenship is conditional or temporary. On that point, since we've entered the realm of politics, it's fascinating that for the first time in Israel's history, there's an Arab political party that's actually serving in the government. And it's really an oxymoron because it's an Islamic party and they're sitting with right-wing Jewish parties. But it seems as if this party called Ra'am says something like, let's put aside our differences for now. Let's put aside the conflict for now. Let us take care of the individual. What is your opinion of this? Do you agree with this ap- approach of Ra'am? Well, I think that this is the perspective of the majority of Arabs. I mean, I think finally we're beginning to realize that we're a minority in the state and we're beginning to behave as a minority. I think this started in the educational and the employment arenas probably 20 years ago. It's beginning to happen in the political arena today. We're beginning to realize that we are going to be Israelis, no matter what political solution there will be, Palestine is not coming to my village. It's going to always be Israel. So we need to start behaving as Israelis. So I think that what Ram is doing probably reflects the perspective of the majority of Arab citizens. I would have liked a more centrist Arab political party and not more religious Arab political party to lead this approach. I think that this will force a revolution in Arab political behavior over the next decade or two. I think this is going to change dramatically how we perceive political participation. And I think that most Arab citizens do not want to be affiliated with the left anymore. They want to be affiliated with the center of Israeli politics. Yes, we have issues with the right wing in Israel, 
But we also have issues with the left wing in Israel. So the Arab community with its social values, plus with its political values, I think it fits more to the center of the Israeli politics. And the center of Israeli politics says you need to be part of decision making. You can't just be on the sidelines, either cheering one political decision or objecting one political decision. You need to be part of the decision making, even if it includes many difficulties as Rama is experimenting these days. You said something very interesting that I want to go back to for a second. So you said that finally the Arabs understand that they're a minority in Israel and that they're living in Israel and have to be active. And you also said before that as an Arab, sometimes you feel or many times you feel that you're like a temporary citizen, that you're not always assured of your citizenship. But the fact that the Arabs just now are saying or in the last 20 years are saying we're now citizens of Israel also makes the Jews feel they're temporary citizens because the Arabs may not want the Jews here. It goes both ways, the feeling between Jews and Arabs in terms of temporary citizenship. This is exactly what I would call the hovering tension that does not allow us to behave as a civic minority, but more as a national minority. It's not just about civics. I mean, for example, we do not serve in the military, and probably will the massive majority of Arab citizens will not serve in the military, and the massive majority of the Jews do not want Arabs to serve in the military because of the ethnic identity, because of the national identity, because of probably mistrust that uh, that comes from the regional conflict and the regional context, that probably might require maybe a decade or two until we resolve these matters and we start even developing an inclusive Israeli identity. Right now, inclusive Israeli identity does not really exist. You mentioned something about the Arab Israelis, most of them not going to the army. But what about some kind of national service? You hear a lot of Israeli Jewish leaders, but also just common folk saying, okay, so don't do the army, but do some kind of national service. You don't see that happening a lot either. Well, there's both political aspects and there is also practical aspects. First of all, political aspects. If you call it national service, then what nation am I serving? So if the wording changes, then they'll do the national service? The language needs to suit the target or the goal. If we call it civil service or community service or some kind of that nature, I think that we remove many of the political obstacles. I do support the notion that every citizen has to provide a portion of his life for the collective good. Today, the state of Israel has not invested in making any single hospital in Arab towns. So if we want to serve in hospitals, it means we take all of our manpower or human resources and move into Jewish towns. Most Arab towns do not have community centers. So so they want to serve in a community center, they will move to work in Jewish community centers. We do not have the institutions to accommodate the Arab community, the Arab youth in civil service, which means that parallel to approving the concept, I think we need to also build the institutions in the Arab community so that that service does not contribute to expanding the gap between Jews and Arabs. And if we're talking about cross-sector service, I yes, I would like to see Arab citizens serving in Jewish towns, but I also would like to see Jewish citizens serving in Arab towns. This needs to be a tool for inclusion and not the tool for increasing the gap between the two communities. What kind of responsibility do you think that Arab leaders or educators should take upon themselves in order to better the life within the Arab community? I think 50% of the responsibility lies on the shoulders of the Arab leadership, uh, and 50% lies on the shoulders of the government leadership. At the end of the day in Israel, decisions are made by the government, but they need tango partners. 
they cannot solve the problems if the local leadership does not take its responsibility. I think that Arab leaders that are trying to escape from responsibility, they're just demagogues. Anyone that only speaks about the problem and does not speak and try to be part of the solution is a demagogue that tries to use his people just to serve his own personal needs. But also thinking that the Arab community does that, one, does not collect taxes, so it does not have budget to solve problems, does not control police, so it does not have authority to control violence or issues like that, does not control authorities of whether it is environment where people throw their garbage or education. You can't come to them and put the responsibility on their shoulders. Responsibility lies on the executive branch of the state of Israel which is the government, but local leadership has to engage in positive, practical manner with the decision makers and not just to play angry all the time. Many of the Arab leaders enjoy the game of playing angry because, you know, yes, it gives them airtime, especially on on Arab media channels that like that voice and echo that voice. To play angry is easy and simple. Simply need to reiterate the same sentences over and over and over again. The question is, does that get you an extra chair in the classroom? Does that get you an extra scholarship in university? Does that get one more woman workplace in our communities? These are the solutions that we need. We need more housing solutions. We need more solutions for the violence and crime in the Arab community. We need job opportunities, quality job opportunities. To tag on that, can you please tell us the kind of work that you do and Givat Chaviva does in order to bridge the gap to familiarize Jews and Arabs? In other words, we spoke about what the Arab community needs to do, and it seems like you, you're doing it. Yes, it, I, I believe in uh, walking the talk. So it's not just talk about the issues, uh, but also walk it. And in walking, uh, I believe in creating solutions. One is capacity building, to contribute to improve the capacity of the Arab community to engage with a larger Israeli society. So one of the programs that we run is, for example, to train Arab women how to engage in political life, how to create their own businesses, improve the quality of Hebrew of Arab children. We place Jewish teachers in Arab schools. Uh, Almost 80% of Arab middle schools today have uh, Arab teachers. We know that the Arab community produces more teachers than its need. So uh, we managed to open the the Jewish educational system to incorporate Arab teachers to teach mathematics, to teach English, to teach biology and sciences in Jewish towns, which created an additional 1,200 jobs of Arab teachers in Jewish schools. Sometimes our work is in building the capacity of the Arab community, but often our work is in helping create capacity in the Jewish community. But the other part of our work is what we call the cross-community social and educational capacity. We have a segregated educational system in Israel, almost 92% segregated residential system in Israel, most of it by choice. And that's important to mention because in America, segregation sounds horrible. And here you're saying, and I completely agree, it's by choice by both communities. Most of it is not a result of policy. It's mostly a result of the living structures. You know, 92% of Arab citizens live in separate Arab towns and villages. In order to compensate for that, we run two main projects. One is pairing Jewish and Arab schools for special study days together. Like once every two weeks, they'll have joint one study day. But sometimes our interaction, our programs are serving a first-time encounter. Unfortunately, Thai more than 93% of Jewish and Arab kids get to the age of 18 without ever meeting someone from the other side. And you do need engineered encounters. And we do provide in Givat Chaviva engineered encounters, sometimes over dialogue, 
using the social contact theory, just come and meet and humanize the other, get the human angle of the other. Often we also use the narrative debate theory. Talk about the problems, be honest. Let's learn how to disagree also. We don't have to agree on everything, but let's have it in a cultural dialogue, in a cultural debate and not in confrontational debate that leads you to hate and leads you to develop racism. But most of our work is around what we call the superordinate goal theory, which tries to identify mutual interests and needs. We share the same environment. We share the same economy. We share the same bus routes. We go shopping in the same areas. If you hear a different language or if you have a different behavior or if you have a different clothing, someone coming with shorts and other coming with, with a hijab to develop the concept of tolerance and interdependency and acceptance. The Israel that behaves like this most of the time, but we try to institutionalize it. We try to help kids see it in a positive perspective and not fear the reality that they live in. Israel is becoming more and more Israeli in exact contrast to the political discourse. We saw it in May, Itai. When you say May, you're referring to the operation Israel had in Gaza called the Guardian of the Walls and the reaction of Arab Israelis. In May, for the first time, hundreds of Israeli businesses were advertising inclusive coexistence ads on banners and on radio stations to say, let's get over with the confrontations and let's go back to working together and living together and coexisting with each other. This is the real pulse of Israeli society. Jews and Arabs, on, on the average, on the human beings level, they want to live together. And we try as an organization to help them practice and learn and institutionalize this work. Okay, I- I'm going to stop you here, but we are going to have a part two that will air this Monday on a burning issue in the Arab community in Israel, and that is Arab-on-Arab crime. Now, we mentioned before that the Arab Israelis make up either 20 to 21% of the population. And yet, in 2021, which is not over yet, 82% of all murders are Arab on Arab, 82%. And I'm going to interview you again, Mr. Darausha, to understand what is happening in the Arab community in Israel with this outrageous crime. If you like Inside Israel, please share with others. You can hear us on Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify. You can also listen to all our episodes on InsideIsrael.fm.